Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. You know, the pressures on today's leaders has never been greater. And our special guest, Dr. Paul Van Balen from Eden Counseling, is joining Doug to give insight on how Christian leaders like yourself can maintain your testimony while managing those pressures effectively and then helping your team to do the same. So I encourage you today to not only listen, but share this message. And if you'd like more information on our Transforming Leadership series, you can sign up for email updates at somebodycares.org. Now let's join Doug and Dr. Van Vaitlin on today's Transforming Leadership series. There tends to be an added stress trying to maneuver through many unexpected detours that we're all going through. Uh, but at the same time, you add that to the pandemic, the global challenges, civil unrest, and and just a plethora of things that have caused this pressure to magnify already difficult situations in uh, courageous and godly leadership. As a result, I, I felt it was important, uh, especially with the pressures that leaders are facing today, that I believe have never been really greater in, in the context of my lifetime. Uh, so we felt like it was important to contact Dr. Paul Van Balen and I felt it was important to address some of those issues because they themselves are not just speaking out of some theoretical concepts, but they speak out of personal experiences and many years of experience of not just in their own lives, but also in the lives of others and, and working with leaders. And so I thought they could address some of these issues that many of us are facing today. Uh, like I said, in my lifetime has never been greater. And uh, because there's so much to maneuver, there's so much to juggle and we're finding already as uh, in my book, Leadership Awakening, that I wrote, and, and thank you, Dr. Paul Van Valen, for writing an incredible endorsement for that book. Uh, but in that book, Leadership Awakening, I, I quoted Dr. Robert Clinton from Fuller Theological Seminary, who said that 70% of Christian leaders do not finish the race well. So I wanted to find out what it was about the 30% that do. And we can see that historically, and we can even see examples biblically. But you add to the tensions and the pressures today for us to even compromise our convictions. And we're seeing even through some recent statistics I heard just the other day uh, from George Barna that uh, only about 8% of evangelical Christians uh, or professing Christians uh, really believe in the inerrancy and uh, of, the Bible, uh, of the word of God and the, uh, and the infallibility of God's word and even in the biblical commandments. And I that was astounding to me because I know in the 1990s, only 13% of, at that time, the 80% of the of professing Christians in our country believed in the, the biblical commandments. And I knew we had a problem then. But if, for that to have decreased even now under all this tension when people should be running to God, uh, I felt like this was a definitely a spiritual and will ultimately become a, a, even a greater crisis if we don't get a hold of of really finding some godly leaders to emerge who will uh, stay tethered, not moved by the swings of pendulums, but will become a plumb bob or plumb line to be able to stay rooted and tethered to the Lord if we're going to help lead anyone else, not by opinion, not by, uh, by our theoretical ideas, but by this being tethered to the Lord and having uh, a playbook. You know, if we don't have something to go with foundations, we have nothing to build on. We see Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that if you don't build on the foundations and then you have nothing to build, it won't last. And, and I find today so many are, are grasping for something to help them, but those are, are failing institutions and failing uh, uh, systems that if they don't first get founded on God's word in relationship with the Lord, the living word, then it will not last. So that's why we really felt like it was important to have Dr. Paul Van Balen with us today. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Paul. Um, I'll give you the, the official bio that we have, and then also a little bit about our experiences with Paul and as a friend, and, and uh, we've done quite a few things together. But uh, Dr. Van Valen has been president of Eden Counseling, Eden Family Institute since 1995, and First Fruits Crisis Response created after the 9-11 World Trade Center tragedy that you saw in New York City, 9-11. In addition to counseling individuals, couples, and families, Dr. Van Valen writes and speaks on such topics as the marriage, parenting, childhood disorders, psychological assessment, and leadership. 
He earned his PhD from the University of Missouri in Columbia in 1982 and served as an army psychologist from 1982 to 1987. He and his wife, Becky, have developed Back to the Garden, a marital workshop presented in the United States and abroad. And just a few personal words, and of course, Jody has known uh, Dr. Van Valen for quite a few years uh, from being at Regent University when uh, Jody was there on staff at CBN. Uh, but Dr. Paul Van Valen and I have gotten better acquainted after 9-11, knew of him, respected him, but we became more connected because of all that was going on after the Twin Towers were hit and in, uh, in, in also in the 9-11. And then subsequently during the shootings at, uh, in, in Aurora, Colorado, at the movie theater, uh, other tragedies, natural disasters, we've done things together on bringing healing and hope sessions for leaders and for um, uh, for those that were really the first responders and counselors and pastors and chaplains that really they themselves needed ministry because, uh, and we can address this in a little bit, uh, Dr. Van Valen, that, uh, and I was just talking to a pastor recently, many ministers today, many leaders are carrying a form of PTSD. Uh, we talk about that in terms of, you know, I've been on the board of the, the PTSD Foundation of America for, for uh, veterans. But uh, we also, I begin to recognize a spiritual context of other leaders who are experiencing forms of, of stress and, and a, and a uh, post-traumatic stress from just constantly dealing with the needs of other people and trying to juggle and feeling inadequate. And I think all of us at times have felt very inadequate in our function as parents, as business leaders, as pastors, as spiritual leaders in our country and around the world we're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with all that's being put on us and adding all the unexpected detours along the way. And so Paul has been a great friend. He's been a personal confidant. He's been, we've worked together even with the US Cal and the Bridge Summits, working with bridging generations, multi-ethnic, multi-generational. And Paul, a, a few years, I think about two or three years ago, you and I had a session called um, The Psychology and Psychosis of Leadership. Would yes. you address a little bit about what we talked about and, and what that means? Because we're not trying to psychologize everything, but we recognize there is a there is an element of truth and science to the statistics that we see. And if we're going to get healing and leaders to be healthy, we have to address some of these things. Absolutely. So my formal training is as a psychologist. Uh, my But before any of that, I was a preacher's kid. So I have generations of leaders in the church that are I know intimately well, love, the church, love its leaders, and we are as a collective going through some significant crises uh, of identity, of practice, just the stats you mentioned, Doug, are, are uh, pretty striking in terms of changes in people's perspective in my lifetime, uh, biblically and in terms of the church itself and their position in the church. So I'm, I'm, I call myself an integrationist. What that means is I'm a, I'm a firm believer in the word of God, the traditions of the church, you know, the movement of the spirit and the word and, and, and Christ in our lives, but I also value science. And uh, in my lifetime, we've seen science improve to the point that it is validating many more biblical and traditional Christian perspectives than not. And that's just been joyous for me to be able to uh, speak to the uh, research that is very compatible with the word of God. So anytime I speak, there's a mix of maybe references to scripture, although I'm not a trained theologian, but certainly references to research and then stories integrated with my own experience. So, so that's kind of what I do and that's what we'll, we'll do today. Um, the study of, uh, of the psychology of leadership, psychology simply stated is, is to study behavior and to try to understand the causes of behavior. Um, there are many branches of psychology and we use the term pretty commonly. So the psychology of leadership would be a way of understanding the, uh, the, the workings of leadership, how they function. And uh, psychology implies looking under the hood a little bit, you know, what's going on inside the brain. And current research has really been fun to see us do brain scans while people are doing things actively live and watch what's going on. And you referenced PTSD, uh, Doug. And, and the, uh, so the brain is capable of remembering things with different levels of intensity. And anytime we are exposed to trauma, which uh, the broadest definition is that I use is anything that affects uh, or threatens our identity. So the classic definition is threat of loss of life or limb. So we 
are in a car accident and we have anxieties about getting into a car. That would be a classic PTSD symptom, but it's broader than that. I work with people who are struggling in their marriage. One of the, one of the spouses has committed adultery. At the point of discovering that your spouse has committed adultery, it's a threat to one's own identity, threat to the marriage, a threat to who I am. And so we call the discovery of adultery a traumatic moment and we treat it just like PTSD. So when we broaden it out like that, Doug, we really are looking at many, many life circumstances <clears throat> that can create a post-traumatic experience. The memories are stored very vividly in the brain. They are activated by circumstances that are triggering our memory. We may be totally oblivious to this, but in my work with urban leaders in particular, uh, and, and, and my sampling is of course limited to my own life. So this is not research, this is my life experience. But, but, but when, I'm, when I'm in New York, when I'm in Chicago, when I'm in LA and talking with people who have grown up in the city, their history almost always has traumatic components. Uh, many, many leaders, you know, because of their life experience are motivated to influence others and, and bring them to a position of salvation and improve their lives coming out of our own stresses and brokenness. So regardless of your background, we've all had some circumstance that creates, if not traumatic stress, what my friend Gary Sweeten calls squishy spots. Uh, they're just, just things that are, have, have been stored with more intensity in our memory. And we can function totally oblivious to this. So this whole topic you raised with PTSD is one of the things that contributes to what we would call psychosis of leadership. Psychosis is not dealing with reality. And so we're using it somewhat metaphorically, but, but when you hear the stories that we're seeing or reading the stories in the media now of pastors, famous individuals leading large institutions, wrapped up in adultery, wrapped up in prostitution, wrapped up in gambling, uh, their addictions have just gotten a hold of them. And, uh, and that's one of the four things that are really cautionary tales, uh, issues of addiction, what do we go to for comfort? And that includes, you know, the, the obvious ones are immorality, embezzlement that lead to, you know, total breakdown, but even in our own lives, you know, our, our work compulsions, uh, food, uh, caffeine, you know, um, even exercise, and even, even church can be a compulsion uh, if, if it throws life out of balance. So managing our addictions, Managing our strong negative emotions, our anger and our anxieties, and dealing with the threat of isolation. Those are the four things that I really challenge everybody to look at to be able to stay in that 30% that makes it right through to the end. And we have some great examples of that. Reverend Billy Graham, Dr. Reverend Billy Graham, great example of someone who early in his ministry set out with two brothers in Christ, Cliff Barrows, and right now I don't have notes in front of me, the, the name escapes me, George Beverly Shea. And they founded on, on principles of the pillars, one of which is integrity, one of which is purity, one of which is humility, which just astounded me when I first learned this. I'd never heard of an institution based on humility. But, but these pillars and the relationships, the willingness to be transparent with each other, and every institution goes up and down. But Billy Graham is one of the few leaders that I know of you know, yes, he said a few things he shouldn't have said off and on when he got into politics and so on, but for the most part was scandal free. And, and as an example of, you know, how do you finish well? Well, you don't do it alone. And so the, the, this, this trio of men, and, and I was able to engage Cliff Barrows personally back in 07 when we were doing a Franklin Graham Festival. I just was astonished at the boundaries that they set in place in order to move forward with integrity and purity. So for example, and this taught me uh, to tighten my own boundaries. Uh, Billy Graham would not go into an elevator with a woman. Billy Graham would not get it into a car with a woman. And then the list went on and on, which would seem maybe like legalism, but they appreciated paparazzi. They appreciated social media. They knew what gossip could do. And so I have tightened up my boundaries. You know, what, what does it even look like to really avoid even the appearance of evil? Failure to follow these guidelines, Doug, is what leads us into a form of isolation, uh, self-justification, uh, pleasure-seeking, that we uh, just fall apart. Let me interject on that because you made some great points here, and I want to address a couple of things. Um, I don't think that any leader sets out to say, I can't wait to fail. 
So obviously, pressure magnifies. And when there are times of added stress in business or ministry, when there's added frustrations, when you're feeling overwhelmed, some people tend to self-medicate. In, in the world, some of us did it on drugs and others on alcohol and promiscuity. But something happens even in leaders if we don't address those hidden things that will emerge in times of pressure that cause us to make decisions that we never intended or set out to do. So let's address that about, you know, because sure. I don't think anybody says, I can't wait to go commit adultery or wait to fail or have some or, or burn out and leave ministry or, or like so many, even of, of late in the last few months, even in a high profile leaders, even theologians saying they no longer believe in Jesus, they're no longer Christian. Right. So these pressures come. Uh, and so there's a lot of hidden things, but pressure exposes things. Right. And so if people aren't setting out to fail, but they're failing, there's obviously things that we need to address and they are self-medicating in things that maybe they feel they lean to. Even Peter went back to doing what he naturally knew to do after Jesus, when he heard that Jesus was, you know, he'd been crucified and he heard he was raised from the dead, but didn't know what was going on. He just went back to doing what he was comfortable doing and that was fishing. And so what is it that we can do to even set parameters for our own lives as leaders in times like this so we don't lean to those things that are unhealthy? Oh, that's, that's great. Thanks. And please do direct. You obviously will direct this conversation the way you feel led to do so. Uh, once I get wound up, I can just keep going. So I it's, love it. it's, I, it's perfectly great to, to direct it. Um, uh, so uh, Peter's a great example I mean, can you imagine how traumatic it was for them to see the Christ crucified? You know, if you take it from that perspective to, to you know, you have, you have identified with this man, with this God man. You have staked your whole, you've given up everything, and now he's gone. And so Peter had a crisis in his identity. What do I do? I will do what I know. We'll go and fish. I can return to that. Uh, I imagine the perspective was this was over. You know, this is just done. So we, we have to find something to do. The, the typical leader, uh, first of all, needs to acknowledge exactly what you said, Doug. Uh, we, awareness is different than functioning, I'm going to use a psychological term, from an unconsciously driven motive. And you can use other metaphors to fill that in, but I just use the language that I know. Uh, there definitely are things that take place under the hood that we are not conscious of. Um, until I say this right now, you were not conscious of your breathing. Now you are. You were not conscious of your heart rate. And if you choose to take a peek, now you can be. All those things just happen. Now, those are autonomic things, but there are things that happen even in the thought life. You know, you can awaken from a dream and have a solution to a problem. Have you ever, you've all experienced that, right? You just kind of wake up and bang, there it is. Well, you've been working on that. Now, it could be that the Lord implanted something in there, we, you know, that, all the mysteries of the spirit. But we know that if you go to bed thinking about something, it's going to affect your dreams. And if it works out well, you may come up with a solution. All that in between waking and waking, you know, going to sleep and waking again is we call the unconscious. There's absolute evidence that the unconscious is real. That's how we can do so much as human beings. Now, the problem is when certain things remain unconscious, they still drive us. And so many people aren't aware of the stress they're under. When I was a young man, I actually was way more anxious than I could consciously understand. In retrospect, looking back, I wish I'd have been more aware. I think I'd have made some different choices at times in life. And, and, and so to become aware, I really like the book by uh, David Benner, The Gift of Being Yourself, because it takes three components to be fully aware or in the process of becoming aware. And that is willingness to look at the self critically, uh, uh, objectively as much as I can, but since I'm limited, other people alongside, uh, knowing others intimately, to where they can give me feedback as to my behavior and function. And thirdly, of course, is our Lord. And he says, if you take self-knowledge out of the equation or others' knowledge out of the equation, you also aren't really knowing the Lord. And so he, he masterfully links these three things together. And so God has blessed me. I'm not naturally a relational person, Doug. I'm mission-oriented. I'm entrepreneurial. But he has blessed me with so many relationships that have crafted uh, my perspective of me in a, in, a, in a constructive way. And the only times I've made errors, and fortunately they haven't been, you know, like career ending errors, was when I was functioning alone. Thought I had a good idea, seemed like a great thing at the time. And what the COVID has done for us 
is uh, the, the risk factors that we're in now is isolation. Uh, many of us uh, are functioning much more independently. Our communication has shifted to online, uh, much more brief, lacking certain uh, elements. Um, and it is in the, uh, the, 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 the biggest message I could say is when you become isolated, you are at risk for all kinds of foolishness. So, so the challenges of life, including what's taking place now, I, I believe that God allows for challenges to occur. Um, I believe that he uses them. I believe in the redemptive power of God. I believe all of our leadership is improved through the challenges, as long as we're not doing them alone, we're not giving into uh, selfish foolishness, and we're not dealing with self-justification. And so, so we're all challenged now with COVID, how do I lead people home? How do I lead people back? Uh, you've all dealt with the political and science arguments over to mask or not to mask. That is the question. You know, we're all dealing with this. Uh, many of us have gained the COVID-15. Uh, pounds that come on through changes in exercise, changes in diet. Uh, many of us have, if you do drink alcohol, you've increased your consumption uh, through this period of time, uh, just because we can. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we're also seeing marriages coming under real attack as people are with each other too much and having to deal with those realities. So the list goes on and on. You're all familiar with what's taking place. And as far as leadership goes with this, um, uh, I've been delighted to see the resilience in many leaders, these strategic approach to things and here's another thing that's real important to know about yourself. We're not all strategic. Many of you are inspirational leaders or you are just wired to be people helpers. And here's where having friends with different gifts is really helpful because it, we've had to be very strategic with all these changes so fast uh, and, and, and leading people effectively. And some have done well and some have flourished and some have struggled. And a lot of it has to do with you haven't sought enough consultation to do it well, which is a theme that is that is uh, increasing. There was something else you said about uh, the 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 added stresses that um, people. Then we talked in you, you, what we called earlier in our private conversation compensatory facades, where we right. compensate on the outside for the insecurities of the hurts or or lack on the inside. Right. Uh, and you probably know, and I just was just got this the other day, uh, ministering in, in Delhart, Texas a book by Peter uh, Scazzaro, yes. Actors in Queens, New York. But he says, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I think that times like this, and I was sharing at a church in the last couple of weeks, that the one thing that even the challenges of the last year with COVID, including uh, the civil unrest and everything else, it has really exposed a lot in us as leaders uh, you know, we could look at the larger context of the population, but I'm talking about as leaders, especially uh, professing to know Christ leaders that uh, I learned from uh, Dr. Randall Pinnell, who used to work at Regent University uh, and also is, was the acting president at North Greenville University, long time friend, one of my uh, theological mentors, because he can transliterate all the Greek, Hebrew, Arcadian, Aramaic. I mean, I said, I'll just call him when I need that information. Right. But uh, he taught me back in the 80s about three types of sins in the Hebrew in the Old Testament. That was Hatta, Pesha, and Avon. And uh, Hatta is just where we, we all miss the mark. That's the thing we all naturally go through, even in our humanity and our, the frailty of our humanity. We all go through Hatta. We, we miss the mark at times throughout the day. And it's like going, if you're going to go to a, a, a shooting range or a bow and arrow and doing archery, if you miss the mark, then that's called missing the mark. You're not getting it in within the, the bullseye area. And all of us uh, throughout the day, and it almost sounds Japanese when I said, hata, hata, hata. We all miss the mark. The other is the word avan. And that is what I feel like this last year has exposed in us in the corporate context, but also individually. Things that we can stuff in when things seem to be normal but when external pressures begin to come, it exposes these things internally. And that's what is the avon, it's iniquities. There are iniquities that we can hide under in the compensatory facades in our hearts. But when pressure from external pressure comes and then this corporate global pandemic and national civil unrest, it's exposed things in us that have 
in this knee-jerk reaction have come out that we go, wow, that's not even like what I've been professing to be Christ-like. And so, and that's on all spectrum. I'm talking about political sides. I'm talking about just as, as a whole. It has surprised me how many even pastors or even friend, people that were good friends have become, have tension between them because of these iniquities that we didn't even know we had. And instead of being intentional to work through that in our relationships, because the kingdom of God's built our relationships, what we've done is we begin to separate ourselves and put up more walls rather than being the ones who bring down the walls so that the world can see that we are one. So would you address some of that? Because I feel like it's, you know, it's been very painful for some of the pastors I see on this call. And many of you have leadership around in different parts of the country and around the world that you give oversight to. And, and it's just, it's heartbreaking when people you thought you really knew have now separated themselves from you because you're trying to stay tethered to God's word. And yet it seems like this last year has brought up all the, the, the avons, the iniquities that we didn't even know were there. And then they're not even dealing with the whole Pesha. Pesha is a thing of out and out rebellion when you know to do right and you don't do it. And when you, you rebel against God willfully, and we've seen that being exposed even now in the church and people even rejecting Christ. But I'm just talking about simply the iniquities that have been exposed through the pressure. That's a good thing if we're willing to let God do something to that or with that. But instead, I find so many that are, it's painful to watch friendships crumble because of their allowing external uh, situations and pressures dictate to them who they are. Yes. You like to throw heavy issues out to play with. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so this, the iniquities that come out uh, need to come out. You know, I agree with you. Absolutely. And so when I'm working with leaders and they're just struggling, you know, uh, I'm old enough, have lived enough, have counseled enough folks to be able to say, you're going through a normal process here. Uh, it's difficult. It's challenging. You might even go through a dark night of the soul where you just feel kind of disconnected from God. You know, and so we encourage people, hang in there, keep going, keep moving. Uh, the real problem or a real problem with everything you're talking about, Doug, is the reality of shame and how shame causes us to separate ourselves. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know, they, they wanted to be God, so they disobeyed God. Then they were like God and that they knew they had disobeyed God. And then they hid in the bushes uh, and tried to cover their shame. That is the human experience. The face of shame is not, you know, me looking right at you. The face of shame is looking away. I can't face you. And so uh, leaders have difficulty acknowledging that they do have shame, that shame motivates them to separate themselves and then get into the comp compensatory things you're talking about. I'm going to prove myself, right? I have this deep shame from wherever it comes from. Uh, I'm making mistakes. I don't feel adequate. Uh, so I, I go just the opposite. I'll be, I work harder. I dig in deeper. And then we're functioning more in the flesh than we are spirit-driven. And there are times we just need to pause. And we read in James, confess your sins one to another and be healed. That's a powerful you know, idea there, that we need to be able to unburden ourselves of the things that we feel are shameful, maybe slow things down rather than speed things up, take a good look at what we're doing to compensate, uh, because inevitably, the, the, the stuffing, the revelation of this, it's coupled with the other ones in particular, you know, if you, if you have difficulty with the reality, you're going to miss the mark sometimes, you either have to deny that to yourself and pretend that you're perfect, or just dig in and try harder. And the reality is, so one of the phrases that I've adopted in much of my coaching is good enough. You know, kids survive in a good enough home. Uh, churches thrive with a good enough leader, particularly during COVID. I mean, if you're a good enough leader, and you got your people in and out of what's going on, you know, you're good enough. And, and, and this, I especially use this with perfectionists like me, Doug, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist and perfectionists see things as perfect or worthless. And so we have to pretend that it's perfect and, and, and run from anything that makes us look worthless. So we can't be real. We have to have this facade of perfection. And many of you have backgrounds with church culture that required that as did I in the holiness tradition, we, your testimony was, I was saved and sanctified. Well, that implies that you don't, you don't, you're not even tempted to sin. And so you had to pretend that everything was great all the time. That led to all kinds of things that would build up, build up, build up, and then blow up. So uh, I appreciate you sharing these. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig in with a little bit of study on these principles. And so, uh, you know, again, we're going to come back to 
How do we deal with sin? We confess our sins, which means you have to acknowledge it, which means somebody might have to point their finger to us and say, hey, you know, take a look at this. This, this isn't right, which means we have to be in relationships. See how it all keeps tying together. The Lord reveals through the Spirit. Others confirm it. We confess it. We take a different path through the guidance and help of the Spirit and others in the Bible, and we can finish well. Let's segue just for a moment on that note. And uh, I apologize to those of you that are primarily um, executives or marketplace leaders. And I want to address some areas that pastors that I'm talking to are having to deal with. And that is this, is that um, many pastors who have given themselves and love their congregation, love their people, are finding that through this, even the season of COVID or even the political um, divisiveness of the last you know, couple of years, uh, has really broken their heart. Let me preface it with this. I have a, uh, a friend who has pastored his whole life in, in Harare, Zimbabwe. Uh, others that I've talked to even recently in other parts of Africa, uh, in Nigeria, we're seeing the hor horrendous uh, murder of Christians and things there. We're seeing things that we're not even seeing on the media that is this onslaught spiritually an attack against Christians nationwide and globally and I think there's a spiritual context to what we're seeing lived out, even in our own uh, optics or culture here, that has really begun spiritually, but it's manifesting itself in various other ways. But as a pastor, let's say in the context of even our country, and, and the divisiveness that's happening, and the COVID stress, I mean, the things that are placed on pastors, have, and I have to tell people, look, I'm not God. God is God, and I am not. And, uh, and, and give room for the grace of God, even for our leaders, our pastors, that if it's not illegal, immoral, or unscriptural, give them some grace to maneuver through this. If, if we're all struggling, can you imagine how magnified that is for a pastor or a ministry leader? And so I'm finding pastors are people they've invested in for many years because they didn't like something about the way the pastor's handling the COVID thing, or if the pastor didn't, is doing something, not doing something, it's like he's, uh, for, forgive my vernacular on this, but the old saying, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't, and so I'm finding pastors that are really hurting, because these are people they love, people they would consider friends, people that have been with them a long time, who are bailing on them, because they didn't like, you know, you can do 99 things right, and one thing wrong, and all of a sudden, they separate from you, it's like, what happened to consistency of relational equity, that you've invested and they just in one moment drop you. It's like, right. is this how shallow our relationship has been? That could be outside of pastoring too. I'm just talking about the context of the pressure of leading as pastors. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You've raised, again, you've got a, about 10 layers to that, those comments you made there. Uh, one of the things that strikes me is we don't, in COVID, you know, we don't know what to expect. You know, when this began, it, it was something we'd never seen in my lifetime, at least, never seen anything like it. And, and so we tend to live our lives believing that we kind of know what's coming. And that gives us a, a sort of an aura of control or a sense of control, a sense of comfort. And this has unfolded in ways, you know, international leaders didn't know what to do. They made serious mistakes, obviously, in retrospect, doing the best they could at the time. And so the pastors are in the same place. And so our sense of competency is really challenged because we're doing something we've never done before. And we need to accept that, you know, give ourselves some grace, uh, realize we're gonna make some mistakes as we move forward. Uh, but there are very real losses then. So, so we have that stress and that, that, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Then you have these losses, criticisms maybe that have never come your way are coming your way. And as you said, loved ones are leaving. And so I think part of our perspective needs to be, uh, for my, this is my opinion, that maybe God is doing a purge in his church. Maybe he's shaking things up. And he is, and he is going to do a purification through this process, and, th and that means that there may be a scrambling of some of the people sitting in the pews and, or chairs and and things going on. Um, but we need to keep a hopeful perspective. That's my point. That God is doing something through this. He will redeem this process. The other thing that really hits me is grief, and this is something that most leaders don't really learn how to deal with until they're hit with really hard personal losses. So actually, this is true of all people. We don't really think about grief much until you're right in the midst of it. But, there is, but grief is a process that God has given us to be able to acknowledge our loss. And there you have the sorrow of maybe some shock and denial when you can't believe it's happening. Now that's actually a little bit self-protective. Then we, then we grieve it. And then there's an anger component. And that's, that's when we're really 
looking at trying to learn from what's going on. And, and there are things that will make us angry. So someone I love has said bad things about me and they've left. I'm going to be angry. Now, what do I do with that as a Christian leaguer? What do I do with my anger? And that's critical to you know, finding a way to, to express this really high energizing emotion that seeks expression. So often it, we don't uh, perceive it accurately. We really don't know what's going on. And then we end up acting things out uh, because we're not conscious of it. We, our anger spills out at home and you know, with our spouse, with our kids. But we need to, again, sometimes pause, take, let the grief process go through because unresolved grief is evident even in some leaders who are trying to get everybody back to the way we were. That is actually unresolved grief. Rather than accepting, hey, this is a different world, you know, you know what, and, and, and being excited about where is it going and where is it going to take us? And, you know, many of our constituents want to go back to the way things were. And, and that is not moving forward. If God is shaking things up for a purpose and we try to recreate the past, we might even be missing out on some significant blessings because we're trying to hold on rather than let go. So, so I just wanted to touch on grief a bit, Doug, because it is woven through this whole season for all of us here uh, as we're dealing with these things. Well, that, and again, that brings another good point that you're making because I was just reminded of a book many years ago, that now the late David Wilkerson, he wrote a book called, Have You Felt Like Giving Up Lately? And I think in context to all of us, we've all probably thought about that about 10 times a day. And especially in trying to maneuver through what we've been through, you know, and I wrote an article a couple of years ago before COVID called maneuvering through the unexpected detours or leading through unexpected detours. And, um, and I, and I realized many times like in that book, have you felt like giving up lately? The one thing I remember of the whole book is that he said, it's always the wrong one on the cross. And what he means is we're not asked to take up Jesus's cross, but to take up our own cross and follow him, not his, he's already gone there. But he says many times when you've been hurt or offended, uh, that the people that have hurt you or offended you, they're going on about their life. They forgot you. And whereas we carry that pain and it becomes, if we're not careful, become instead of better, we can become bitter. And in that bitterness, we tend to project our frustrations in our situations uh, to, uh, towards other people. And it, it brings up the classic sour grapes of, of Ezekiel and Jeremiah that that because when it says never say this proverb again because your father's ate of sour grapes the children's teeth are set on edge in other words you can't blame others you can't project on others but you have to take responsibility now and so for me I have to take responsibility for what does God's word say regardless of what my personal preference opinion feeling emotion uh, and, and otherwise I'll become bitter and project those those frustrations right. rather than walking as in the as a conduit of the Holy Spirit and to be God's ambassador. That's good. That's good. I also would recommend Henry Cloud's book, Necessary Endings. Necessary Endings. Uh, he's written some really good leadership books. He's the boundaries guy. He made a bazillion dollars with his boundaries series. Uh, and and his, when I read Boundaries for Leaders, I thought it was going to be a rerun, but it's an excellent book. So so integrity, necessary endings, boundaries for leaders. I think he's captured some really critical elements to help us remain positive when we're dealing with some very, very difficult circumstances. Uh, in, in necessary endings, he takes John 15, the, the uh, parable of the, of the vineyard, and, the, and how the, uh, the vine keeper prunes not just the dead branches, but the living branches. What's the goal? More fruit. And I think that can help us keep an optimistic perspective. Lord, I wasn't planning on this loss. Uh, you must be making room for something different, something bigger. And I think it, it really helps our perspective to stay, as particularly as we encourage each other through these significant challenges. God is, we believe that God is going to get his work done. And, and, and he doesn't always let us predict exactly how it's going to go. We have to accept those limits of, of our capacity to see the future sometimes. So do you find that that just like with the 12-step programs, we had so many 12-step people coming to our ministry when they, and they, with the light came on, when they realized the, the missing link for them was Jesus is the step that helps all these other things uh, get in order. Do you find that when those, when people find, who've been going through stress or post-traumatic stress, that they find a, a better pathway to healing when they've been able to, to find that place of being tethered to the Lord? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, most of my uh, clients are Christians. Uh, most of them are people who have dedicated their lives to Christian service. 
But I, I believe the Lord provides opportunity for new awareness, new insight, like, you know, falling in love with your first love again. And it often comes after a dark time. So again, I, I try to remain optimistic. If we're going through a rough time and I feel disconnected, I encourage people to be patient uh, and to just continue in prayer, continue in the spiritual disciplines, continue in the fellowship. And, but, but maybe take some time to, to, I call it looking under the hood a little bit and see if God wants to reveal something with this change in, in context and then expect that to move forward uh, and empower the future movement tremendously. Uh, you know, Sabbath is a concept most leaders talk about but don't practice. And it's very, very important. And, and many people uh, discover that, as did Peter Scazzaro, through challenges. I mean, he's got great books. I'd recommend everybody read that. Uh, essentially, he rediscovered earlier works on spiritual disciplines that were not part of his culture in terms of, you know, his branch of Christianity. And so he brought that ancient wisdom in a nice contemporary format to the contemporary church in which he was uh, part of. I really have liked his stuff. But it's all about pausing. It's all about contemplative experiences. It's all about, you know, inviting uh, intimate communication with the Lord and with significant others. So all that stuff, I think, is just really important. So in a nutshell, because this is a very complex conversation, it would take far more than the time that we've had allotted here, right. Dr. Van Balen. And I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and all that you do to help so many leaders and pastors and business leaders across the country. In the simplistic form, for me, I'm always being reminded that whatever I'm going through now is not the end, that there is life beyond where we are. If I can keep that perspective and a vision of hope, even if I don't see it, that there's a vision of destination hope because of Christ, that he will not leave me where I am. Uh, can you just take a moment to address how do we do, what's some of the tools we could use as pastors, business leaders, to keep a vision of, of life and destination hope beyond our current circumstance. I'll just share two minutes of my own story. So I've, and, and any of you who've heard me speak with more than once have heard bits of this. So I went through two, three year periods that were really dark. They were stress induced. Uh, the first three year period, I just started a business, which I currently still run, didn't know what I was doing, number of losses. So what sustained me were what I call anchor verses, just having a few texts that you just, I, I just pictured myself holding onto these texts by my fingertips, just, just, you know, lifelines, you know, and for me that, you know, things like all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose, just a few really, you know, things we believe about the love of God and, and us. So meditating on that daily, running that through my head all the time. And then another uh, critical thing is you continue doing that which you know is good, even if it doesn't feel good. Uh, you can get into a mental, emotional, spiritual state where nothing feels good. And so the mistake is to try to find something that feels good. And what you have to do is, is do what's right. And that's how I define courage. Courage is doing the right thing when you don't feel like it. That's my simplistic definition. You're doing the right thing, but you don't feel like it. Now, to stay on that line, you then have to have guides reminding you where the lane is because you know you're functioning in a place you've never been it's easy to get off course so here's an example of a conversation i had with a man that i know loves me he's been my friend since we were six years old and he would say to me on more than one occasion paul you're the same guy i've always known you have the same value the same gifts the same talents and when you get through this god is going to use you in a way that you just don't understand yet now that didn't make me feel better because I was in such a state that feeling better wasn't going to happen for two more years. But you, I remember this conversation, obviously, right? And the impact of just somebody believing in me when I'm beginning to fade with myself. So that's the mix for, for me personally was the word of God, the fellowship of believers, and a sense of calling that you adhere to even when it's not clear where the lanes are. And, but, but you have this help to keep going. And then, and then I used to pray in the angry prayer. God, you better have some purpose in this. <laughs> there better be something cup on the other side of this. You know, <laughs> that's an expression of faith, but it's also, you know, this better be real, God. You know, I'm staking my life on this, you know, and we all pray those prayers. You know, we need to. Yes. Well, that's this has been great. And how can people uh, uh, hear more about you? Have you gotten some books that people can read or teachings or, you know, 
I have my one lone publication, uh, Win Every Argument, Win Every Heart. It's on Amazon.com. If you just look up my name, you can't miss it. There's only one. It's like six bucks. Uh, you can go to my YouTube station, though, uh, Van Valen Assessment and Consulting, and there are 40 or so videos that have been collected over the years. So I've, you've got more audio video than you do uh, written at this point. I keep expecting the Lord to open up a window for me to write more. And then he throws us into the pandemic, uh, <laughs> you know, so life is what it is. But uh, but the YouTube uh, uh, station has uh, a collection of, of videos. That would be the most rich source in terms of what I do. Yeah. And uh, and your website is uh, right now. We're, I'm still functioning just out of EdenCounseling.com. Eden, E-D-E-N, counseling with one L.com. I'm working on Van Valen Assessment Consulting, which is really where I'm putting most of my leadership work. Uh, I don't have time to build it yet. So, <laughs> so you'll find me at EdenCounseling.com. Yeah. The, the other thing, and I'm just curious because I read so many things about this and I, and I guess it's a question with a statement because I'm, I'm getting so many more calls. I'm, I'm busier in some regard during the, the lockdowns and the pandemic right. because right. even from a global standpoint of people, especially leaders needing encouragement and the increase of depression the inc in Japan, for example, where I was born, uh, there, there has been an increase of depression and suicide in the midst of this because in the honor code of Asian culture that they can't take care of their family. Right. And, and then you have political leaders there or community leaders there that are, that are frustrated. So there's been an increase of suicides yes. in Japan and other places. Yes. And we're seeing that happening here. How, how do we help as leaders when we're going through our own stuff to help bring other people, if you've seen that increase, and if you've probably been busier than ever, we have talking to people, right? So, so mental health in our part of the of the country, uh, everybody's at capacity. I've never seen this before. We are all functioning at capacity. Uh, the, the the increased need, the the uh, the use of tele telehealth systems like this. So you don't. I see the inside of cars during lunch hours all the time now. Um, I've had a thirty percent in my in leadership coaching and and the topics that we're talking about are what we're talking about here so yes we're absolutely seeing this yes yeah, so how do we especially all of us we're carrying an added load so the other part was what do we do you have to prune this this is really important so i began doing uh daily and then every other every other day facebook live things on stress i did that for about six weeks and then i quit it was too stressful and th this is a reality that you all have to face right uh, I have a big network of churches I coach in, in the southern states, and they actually embraced the pandemic. They said, we're not going to do events. We're going to do relationship. And they strategically set out to, to have more conversations. You have to make changes and adjustments. You have to cut out some things. And, my, and I think it's a pruning. I think most of us are going to come out not doing the same load of busy as we did before and being more relationship, more connected. But that's my immediate reaction, Doug. If we can't do it all, we have to prayerfully consider what are the top priorities and just accept those realities. I think that what's been discussed today is uh, we've hit a certain level, but it really needs to be unpacked. But I think it's a good start for people to find that they are not alone, that there is hope. In fact, um, some of the things that we've talked about, I talk about in my book about leadership, leadership awakening. And it was amazing to me that just uh, the last couple of days, it's don't know why, but it just uh, spiked towards like out of tens of thousands of books, it's down to like it was in the top 50 something books on, on uh, professional and Christian awesome. leadership. But our newest book, I think would be very helpful. It came out timely. We had already started updating, rewriting a book I wrote many years ago, just before 9-11. And uh, it just came out and, and uh, it, it was under a new title called Mending the Net bringing hope in a hurting world. And I really feel like the context and the, and the extra chapters and things we put in there are so appropriate and timely for today because all of us need a vision of destination and hope. I wrote this down in this article two years ago before the COVID on uh, uh, leading through unexpected detours. And to quote the dictionary, I said, perseverance is defined as persistence and steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. To persevere in leadership, we need persi persistence, staying power, purposefulness, patience, diligence, and commitment. And as you know, one of the mottos of my life has been since I was 17 years old, 
My desire to win must be greater than my moments of pain or moments of challenge. It got me through my cancer in 2015. Mm-hmm. If you look beyond my circumstance and look at the sense of the edge of eternity that I was in and that every day could be a good day because I serve a great God. And each of you have been called for a time such as this. Each of you are called to be uncommon and uncompromising in a world that's out of control. So I believe that in Christ, we're tethered to him. He's our foundation. He can take us through whatever circumstances, whatever situations you're in. Just be remembering that we're not God, he is. And as even was alluded to today, we can stay in our lane and to be who God's called us to be. And uh, so I thank God for each and every one of you. Paul, would you just Amen. pray for us? And Absolutely. those will be watching later through Facebook and, and the podcast. Yeah, Lord, we come to you humbled by who you are, humbled by your greatness. Uh, and I pray that everyone who's uh, uh, listening now or will listen in the future will be struck by the power, uh, the wonder, the wisdom, uh, the joy of service, uh, even in the face of challenges and difficulties. Your word has so many stories of, of people having to overcome incredible obstacles. We are happen to be living through one of those areas now. Help us to embrace that. Help us to encourage one another to love and good works. Help us to affirm each other and help us not to fall into distractions, temptations, uh, things that would besmirch our reputation, uh, sully the reputation of our Lord. Uh, help us to be faithful and, and help us to believe that you are in control and you are moving us all forward to a place that is better than where we were. Help us to embrace the future with optimism and hope and to love each other well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, we encourage you, email us, prayer at somebodycares.org, or you can call and text our 24-hour prayer line, 855-459-CARE. Again, that's 855-459-CARE. I also want to encourage you today, go to somebodycares.org, enter your email address, and be plugged in for free resources and encouraging words that will be sent to you on a weekly basis. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.